1910. I'm really excited for you today. You get to hear from Joel Keeley. He's the lead pastor, Barra Church in Trophy Club, Texas. I've known Joel and his wife, Kim, for over 20 years. He's spoken here at manual conferences and youth camps, and I can't wait for all of you to hear from this man of God. Would you stand on your feet and welcome to the platform, Joel Keeley. Man, 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 it is great to be here. I know what you're thinking. He's got a suit on. He must be old or a jacket. Yeah, I am old. Uh, my wife's young. This just works for us. She's just like, I'm old. She's young. That's how it works. All joking aside, super grateful to be here. Uh, been a part of this house and close friends with Jason and Angie for years. Uh, so much shenanigans, too many that I could not share from the stage. But uh, in September 2006, 17 years ago, Kim and I, Drove down the night before the first public gathering of 1910, prayed over your pastors, and it was such a great thing. Uh, we've just been close. I remember walking this building with hard hats when they were building it. Just a gift to be here. Super, super grateful. Uh, there's three things that I really like about a 1910 church. One, I hit my, I closed my rings halfway through worship. So uh, maybe I got low numbers or what, but it's just like I love I love that. Uh, it, this is probably the breath mint capital of churches in the world. Uh, there's a breath mint everywhere. I'm just, so if it's just, if you're taking notes, if you're overweight with bad breath, this is your spot. Like you need to come here because it's good and uh, great swag. I got, I got a mug and I'm all about the swag and that's good. But, but in all seriousness, worship, what a gift. Well, you guys need to just thank God for them leading us, being lead worshipers. If, if the dude that carries the little podium here comes off stage crying, thanking God, it's not an act. Like that, that they're the lead worshipers and, the, and they brought us into his presence today. Uh, the kids being up here, uh, listen, I, I'm gonna push pause. Uh, I don't know if you heard it wrong. You just have to pray for these kids. So we still have some, so I'm just gonna wait. I'm gonna wait you out. This is old school Baptist theology where it's like, we ain't going to lunch till someone gets saved. I'm not going there, but let's just, can we get a few more people? I'm praying for Harper. I don't even, I'm not even a member, but I, you don't have to pay for them to go to school like college. You just have to pray for them. So come get some bands right now. Just open it up. Let's go. This is old school guilt. I'm not above it. Just let's go. I'll start when these are all gone. And if you want to go to lunch, you probably ought to come and get some bracelets and, and get to praying. Kim, Jackson, Annie, do you have one on? Come on. Let's get these taken care of until we're all done because the next gen is a big thing to God. It's an important thing to this house. It's the heart of your pastors, Jason and Angie. And uh, I just feel like we don't need to leave any kids unprayed for this year. Could you imagine like having one of these up here? I think there's like five. So a couple more people come on up. Even while I'm preaching, Blake won't tackle you. No one's going to think you're bum rushing the stage. Just, I mean, what if it's your kid? Every kid's prayed for your little, you know, Spencer just gets nothing. Uh, that's sad. So, um, and then the big thing for me, when I come here, I just, it's Jason and Angie and I, and I know they're on sabbatical and I thank God for that opportunity. I thank God for your willingness and support of them in that. I, I'm just telling you right now, you better buckle up. You better come caffeinated because when he gets back in this pulpit, like it, he can be spitting and cussing and preaching and it's on. And, and let me just tell you one thing. They've been dear friends to Kim and I for years, but every Sunday morning without fail, I get a text about 6.37. And it's always thoughtful, it's always intentional, it's always meaningful. It's from Jason and he reminds me as he reminds himself of the high calling to preach. We call it shuck the corn. Like we don't take it lightly. Like we think God has chosen us for just such a time. And I just could not be more 
grateful for your pastors. And so I just wanted to honor them publicly and thank them. Uh, again, I did mention I'm old. I got a three. I got a beautiful wife, not three wives. I need to put the right numbers there. I got one wife, beautiful wife, Kim. Uh, and we have three kids and they're married and, and we're, they're, uh, got, they're just pumping out kids and we're so stoked for that. So we have five grandkids. There's our picture. I know what you're thinking. It looks like United Nations. We're cool with that. We love that. We're, we prayed for that. But I know what you're thinking, like, y'all are wearing matching pajamas, you're one of them. No, we weren't until this year. They wore us down. All the men finally tapped out like UFC, just we couldn't take the pressure for matching pajama photo, and we did it, and um, there it is. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm fine. I, I'm, I wore matching pajamas on Christmas morning, so there. Okay. Um, I'll fight you in the parking lot. That's what it was. But I do joke about being old, but, but I remember the first TV in our house. It was huge. Uh, we'd sit there and watch it. It had like three channels. That's not an actual photo of me, but I looked close to that. Um, and you, you know, if the president came on, you were screwed. Like that was it. You just shut it down. All three channels, just straight to Nixon or Ford, whoever it was. And um, then they didn't have remotes. So we were the remotes. So that was the big thing. And then I remember they came out with a remote with a cord. And I was like, thank you, God. I don't have to get up. It was like aerobics with my grandfather. Like, hey, you change the channel. And if, if there's only three channels, that would still work. Imagine now with like 300 channels. Can you change the channel? And be like, no, I'm leaving this house. But um, they came out with an ad during my time. I remember this. I'm like, why are they doing that? But they were trying to steal people away from the theaters. Check this out. Uh, General Electric, I think it was, the new General Electric color TV. It's like being at the movies. No, it wasn't. Look at how small that thing is. The movies are huge. Movies were awesome. You could throw popcorn on the floor and just leave it. Like it was not being at home, but they tried to pitch it. And we did have some friends in the 80s that were ballers and they had home theaters, like home entertainment areas. And like the Pioneer Laserdisc, we just were like, oh, this is so cool. And it was like a projector and it would go and we'd watch a movie at home, but it wasn't near as big as the theater. Didn't have the display that the theater had. In fact, I remember going with my grandfather to see the original Star Wars, and I was watching this thing scroll. Check this out. This will bring it back for some of you. That was like ChatGPT AI for us. I mean, we're like, the words are moving. This future's here. Like, Star Trek is happening. Like, we couldn't believe. We'd never seen anything like it. It was always like, starring Marlon Brando, starring John Wayne. Like, this was actual movement. And then... I got to thinking about movies. The words in them, movies, like they move, right? There's the, they called them back in the day, motion pictures is what you had, motion pictures. Uh, and, and people went to the theater. You guys have some theaters here, right? You have the AMC Classic. The biggest theater, I think, is like close to 400 seats. I called, I did a deep dive, did my research, I'm there. Uh, the, the Bernie Community Theater has like 76 seats. It's not quite as big as the AMC Classic, but it's still, you could go to that theater, see a production. But I'm gonna submit to you, I'm gonna tell you, I think, in fact, I know, there's another theater in Bernie. I know it, and I'm looking at it. I'm looking at a theater. See, I was a poor student in high school, so I have to tip you off. I have to tell you what's up. I have to cheat because I dropped out of high school. I was a terrible student. I only cheated one time. It was freshman year in, in Spanish. I had a cast on. I had blown my leg out, and I wrote the answers. They looked like signatures because it was Spanish, and I was so overcome with guilt. I wasn't even a Christian. I was nowhere near a Christian, but I still felt dirty. I went and told Mr. Costco. I was like, hey, I cheated, and he's like, well, you still flunked even though you cheated. Like, it didn't even help me. That's how bad of a student I was. I was like, Stan? Is that the answer? No, that's my friend that signed it earlier. But listen, 
I'm telling you right now, so if you're at lunch or if your parents call or if your you know, coworker invited you and then they didn't show up, or your teammate or classmate, however you got here, and someone says, hey, what was, how was it on Sunday? You'd be like, the pastor told us that we're a theater, that we're a display. We're like a, a screen that people can watch and witness and view and, and look at and, and gain things from and understand. And we can, we can project and like we're this, this theater. And if you don't believe me, you could go to Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Paul's writing the crazy in Corinthians. Uh, Jesus has left and they start churches and they plant churches similar to 1910. And uh, the Corinthians were extra crazy. All churches are crazy. In fact, if you've ever gone to a church that wasn't crazy by you showing up at that church, now it's crazy. Like you're the one they've been missing. They've been praying for more crazy. But, but the Corinthians were like uber crazy, sleeping with family members and getting drunk at communion. I've been to some churches, but I've never seen one sloshed at communion. That's probably why we went to the little cups. Probably because we're like, if we give them just the Bible, they just go for it. Like we gotta, we gotta minimize this. But Paul's writing to the Corinthians who are in a tough context, a lot of persecution. They're crazy. They're dealing with it. They're trying to understand what following Jesus is to look like. And it says this. Paul says, for it seems to me, it's 1 Corinthians 4, 9, if you wanna click or follow, read on the screen. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles, which those of us in Christ now, we are modern day apostles. We're the people that go and tell us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. Well, that's nice. Here we go. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as human beings. We've been made a spectacle. That Greek word is the Greek word theatron. Does it sound like something that I was talking about? Paul's saying to the church, hey, you guys are a theater and people will watch you. They will look at you. They will want to see you. You are a theater. Now, the good news is, how big is that AMC? It's like 400 seats. We're only a theater to the whole universe and to angels, so in the spirit realm now, as well as human beings. So the only people that are watching you and I live out our faith is just angels, the universe, and all of humanity. Okay, we're good, that's fine. As long as we don't have to really be public with our faith, as long as you get it, right? Like, it's, it's a deal. And you think, well, that's the Corinthian church, Joel, of course. Like, he's gonna challenge them, because they're, I mean, if you're getting drunk in communion, you're probably not, you're probably getting drunk everywhere. You're probably living outside of the will of God uh, all the time, so it's just exclusive to that church, right? Well, no. Because when he writes to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 5.1, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we're supposed to follow God's example. We're supposed to imitate. Now, if I was to say right now, and someone was watching online, if I was to say, hey, church, stand up, people would deduct. They would assume, oh, pastor told them to stand up because they're probably sitting. They would, they, even though they wouldn't have that information, they would deduce that from my command. So what? If Paul's telling the Ephesians to follow God's example, to be imitators of him, to look like him, to display him, it's probably, it's called deductive reasonings, the theologians, kind of, I'm not a theologian, I just steal from them, but, but this is what it's called. It's like, oh, they probably weren't looking like God to the world. They probably weren't the best example. Now, you say, so wait, you steal from theologians, that's a joke, obviously. I mean, although God gave you eyes, plagiarize, I, I do that some. Listen, they're just stealing from Jesus. 
They're literally just ripping Jesus. Because when Jesus starts his ministry, he calls people together, puts them up on a mountain, and I'll read it because it's that important. I don't wanna mess it up. He begins to preach. He's getting everyone up on the, on the hill. Matthew 5, verse 14. Here's the onboarding. Here's the way he tells people how it's gonna go. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, just like you do that, 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 that principle, in the same way, let your, Christ followers, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, I, I know if you do your good deeds just to be seen, only to be seen, and, and to try to impress that, that you lose a blessing and that that's not God's heart. But we are to have a witness, a public uh, a display. Like, we should be visible. In fact, um, even atheists know this. Like, like, Paul knows it, Jesus says it, but even atheists get this. They get it perhaps some days better then you and I take a look at this clip from Penn of William and Penn, or Penn and Teller of the uh, Magic Group in Las Vegas. Check it out. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could I'll be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and, and you think that... Uh, because it's powerful. But if we can't get it to work, I'll tell you exactly what he says and then you'll be like, I'll go look it up on YouTube. We want to try one more time? It's fine. I beg about it. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody Oof. to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? Now, the proselytize gets a bad rap. It's a word that, that can mean try to convert, and, and there's part of, the Bible does have some verbiage about that, but I like the second part of the definition that, that it means the most to me if you put it up there. It means to advocate or promote. You're just telling, you're just talking, you're just sharing, you're just speaking. You're just speaking truth. And he's like, look, I don't even respect Christians if they're not doing that. If they say they're a Christian, but they don't try to tell me the truth, then man, I just, there's no way. And, and if you think about what he says, he's like, we're not, like if someone's gonna get hit by a truck, I, I'm gonna, there's a point where I'm gonna tackle them. This, and this is an atheist, he gets it. He's like, this eternity is infinitely more important. How much do you have to hate someone to not do it? But listen, look, I, I'm gonna be honest. This is who I am, I'm a truth teller. Like, I'm standing up here saying it, but do I always do it? No, no. 
I love Jesus, but often, some days, I love myself more. I, I don't want to offend them and have them think poorly of me. I care more sometimes about what others think about me than what my father thinks about me. I care more about the ways of the world and what's correct and right and, and not trying to step on any toes and try to be sweet and soft like, than truth being displayed in me. Just say, no, this is what I think and believe and this is who I am and this is what I do and this is how I am. Like, to just be that bold comes down to fear. I think that's the big reason. It's not like we don't believe it as much as we just get scared of what people might think. We, we get protective in our own. We're, our, we're wired for that. So Paul is, is great. Jesus is great. The atheist is great. But John gets this vision on the island of Patmos. Now, he's the, all other disciples were killed for their faith. You want to talk about being on display, being condemned to die like men in the arena, 1 Corinthians 4, 9. You want to talk about having to have to believe it like they're like, hey, if you recant, we won't kill you. But if you don't, we'll kill you. And all of them died by violence because of their faith. But John just gets sent to an island. He's out there in the island of Patmos. He's, he's rocking back and forth. He's in olden age. Some scholars think 120 almost. And he's like repeating, thy little children, love one another. Thy little children, one, love one another. And the skies open up and he receives a revelation. And in the middle of the book of Revelation, he's writing about the dragon, the great serpent, Satan. And it says this in Revelation 12.1. They triumphed, the body, the believers, the church. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their what? Testimony, by the word of their testimony. Not their belief, their spoken belief, their testimony. And then check it. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Man, I want that. I want that for you. God wants that for us. He wants us to believe it to the point where we share it, to the point where we display it, to the point where everyone knows it, and we're not scared even if it means death. If you think about this series, to live out loud, it's not hush. It's not quiet. And I know what some of you are thinking, especially us dudes. Hey, dude, my faith is a private matter. It's just between me and God. It's no one else's business, dude. Well, that's a great thought. It's kind of like thinking if you're a man that you're a woman or thinking that you're a cat or something else. It's a weird version of truth that you created in your head because it doesn't tell you that in the Bible. It's not the reality. You, it's not a private matter. The first thing you do when you get saved is you go in front of everybody and go, watch me die. I'm dying. So when you see me living like my whole life, Tell me I died. Tell me I came back. It's a public declaration. Maybe your first confession was private in a prayer closet, on a bed, in a hotel room, somewhere where you were broken and you received the Holy Spirit. But after that, it's all public. And if you think for a second, it's only for those on the stage that are supposed to be the ones proclaiming. Ah, wrong answer, because our job, according to Ephesians, is to equip God's people for ministry. And I'm telling you this. I can preach and I can privately, I was with a, a young lady that my wife started to study with and then there was a conflict and so I had to kind of close the deal, sales, right? I got to close the deal at Starbucks and she accepted Jesus and got saved. It was awesome. I was with her in Starbucks, but I can't reach who Jackson Hollis can reach. This is my friend Jackson, lives down the road. He works at uh, North Park 
Lexus of Dominion. If you need a, 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 like a half a percent discount, the Joel Keeley discount, it's done, it doesn't even exist. Duh. But go see Jackson for a car. But let me tell you this, I can't reach Jackson's friends because I'm in Dallas-Fort Worth and Jackson's here. He's got associates and, and employees and customers and neighbors and people that God's called him to reach there. And God's given Kim and I and our family ministry where we are. And he has given each one of us a field an opportunity, a place, a people. You get to be a theater for people to see. You get to be on display and check it. When it gets to the start of the church, how we miss this, like it's just who we are. Acts 1.8. So Jesus, you know, he says it at the start of his ministry. First public thing he says is, hey, you know what? You're a light on a hill. Everybody needs to see it. Can't hide it. Don't hide it. Better not hide it. Now, it's at the end of his public ministry. He's about to ascend into heaven. He's speaking to people that are a little scared, a little worried, like, hey, Jesus, who's gonna tell people about you when you're gone? He's like, glad you asked that question. Here's what he says. Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, I love the Holy Spirit. It helps me not be as rude or condescending or strong or forceful. It helps me be patient in my relationships. The fruit, big fan of the fruit. Love the Holy Spirit for that. Worship, I love the presence of God. And God gives us the Spirit so we can be in his presence, so we can be filled. It's not something that's outside of us, it's inside. Big fan of the Holy Spirit's presence. I love the Spirit's gifts, the ability to preach, or the ability to, to uh, prophesy, or the ability to heal, or all these gifts, praise God for them. But when they get the Spirit, it's for one reason. So you can't go, well, I don't have this gift, or I don't have this gift, or that part of the fruit isn't developed to me. All of us get the Spirit for one reason, according to Jesus. You will be my witnesses. You will not be in hiding. You will not be in secret. I mean, come on. It's called the book of Acts. It's not the book of secrets. Like if it was the book of secrets, we could be like, shh, don't tell anybody. We'll just go to heaven and keep it real small. Us four, no more. Holy huddle. It's Acts. It's not beliefs. It's not, don't tell, it's, this is what they did. And we know what to do based upon how they lived. And I'm promising you, there are friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, teammates, classmates, people in your circle that don't know what to do without you, without me. They're looking at the screen going, would you just show me what it looks like to follow Jesus? Would you just show me what really like the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the brutal, the brutal, like all of it, would you just show me? So he says it at the start of his ministry. He says it at the end. He says it in the middle. Hey, come on, man. Let's go. Go help. Go serve. He's like, let people see. Like he's big on being seen. He sends them out. Jesus doesn't have a church building to hide in. He doesn't have one. He goes out and out and out and on mission and on mission and out. People see him, know him. In fact, how else would we get the interchange that we get at the end in Luke 23? Jesus is literally dying. He is being murdered, being murdered in real time. This is real time stuff going down. It's a little bit of a reading, but it's worth it for me 
to work through it so you can understand what's happening. Verse 32, Luke 23, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the other criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. You want to talk about being on display. If you are in the middle of getting hammered, nailed, spit, struck, beard yanked, tortured, mocked, if you're in the middle of that and you're like, forgive them, that'll preach, right? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The two, the, excuse me, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is, if, remember, there's the doubt, there's the faith that gets tested. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Satan's so tired, he's so old, worn out. Comes in the garden. Did God really say? He always trying to give doubt. If God really said, like the reason he can't save others is because he can't save himself, excuse me, is because he has to save others. He has to choose and he chooses to die for us. Then it says the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if, remember there's the doubt, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read the king of the Jews. Actually a true statement. One of the criminals who hung there hurled, hurled insults at him, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we're, we are being punished justly and we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He says to Jesus, hey, could you remember me when you Go to heaven. Jesus is just hanging, dying, and praying. But somehow this guy assumes and knows he's going. He says, will you remember me? Not if, if you, will you? This man's done nothing wrong. Like he knows who this guy is. And Jesus answered him, 43, truly I tell you today you'll be with me in paradise. How? It's how Jesus lived. This criminal had to have seen had to have observed, had to have seen the display, the, the, the theater that was Jesus's life. He had to have some type of a seat to understand who Jesus was, that he had the authority to even let him into the presence of God for eternity. And he says, could you remember me? But just in case you think maybe it was how he died, even that will preach. Turn to Mark 15, verse 39, Mark 15, 39. And again, this is incredible thought to think that even the way we die has an ability to persuade, to teach, to share and show. Verse 39. And when the centurion, push pause, he's a centurion. He's in charge of this execution. This ain't his first rodeo. He's seen a lot of people die. He's probably given the command, given the, like he's the one, he's in charge of at least a hundred, he's seen this before, but when the centurion who stood in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. I mean, not maybe. The very thing that was the charge, you can't say you're God's son, only God can be God. Only Caesar can be Lord. How the centurion, the executioner's like, no, I saw how this dude died. Like if you die like that, 
then you believe what you say. Showing up to church, no. Reading your Bible, no. Being a pastor, eh, no. But how you live, and in this case, even how you die, preaches. So, we're to be living, breathing, walking, and talking motion pictures. The faith in front of the world for all to see. I said at the start, I talked about old TVs and man, so much has changed. We got them in our pocket. You can, I, I watched a video on my watch. That's so, so future. So like just whatever. I mean, it's just like, that's dumb. Like how can you watch something on your watch? It's pretty soon you're just like, I'm thinking it. And then I saw it like, I don't know. But check it. The technology is basically the same. You got a signal and you have a source and you have the signal that goes through the airwaves, the airwaves. What could that sound like? I don't know. The word pneuma, where we get pneumatic as in drill or pneumonia as in breath, the breath as in the Holy Spirit's called pneuma. Like you have the spirit that carries the signal, the truth, the source carries it. And then it goes in a signal, excuse me, a display. We'll pick it up. A receiver will get it. They'll tap in right now. There's millions. And I did the deep dive on this. I'm not going to bore you with my knowledge because it's extensive. I get it. I, I know a lot about airwaves like cell phones and radios and uh, garage door openers and uh, baby monitors and the signal right here in the live stream. Like there's a lot of stuff, like millions of things going around. And yet one signal gets picked up by one display and the display shows what the signal intended as it goes across the air. It's captured. The Holy Spirit's in that, right? Check this. I want to tell you a story about just how important it is for us to tap into the signal, for us to receive the truth, for us to display the truth, because what we display has the ability to change lives. There was a doctor in a town not too far away, two or three hours maybe, and this doctor got the call that there was a patient in another town about two or three hours away. And the patient was gravely ill. It was a very critical situation. Time was of the essence. You needed to ha- we needed their help right away. Had to be quick. Had to be the right advice. And so this doctor gets on this uh, call, this video call. I don't know if it's FaceTime, but some technology where they're facing something and they broadcast and send a signal out. And this other doctor in this other town are watching the display and they look at the display. And as the doctor in this town tells this doctor in this town what to do, the doctor follows it impeccably while the patient lies clinging to life on this bed in ER. And that doctor was able to save this person's life based upon what they received from a signal far away. The doctor doing the sending was in Houston. The doctor receiving it from the display was in San Antonio. And the patient who had had a critical stroke was your pastor, Jason Brown, a few years back. And just like the atheist pen says, this is so much more important than a truck hitting you. What I'm sharing, us tapping into the signal and being the display for everyone to watch and go, how do I live? How do I function in this world? What does following Christ look like? People are looking to us and our display of Jesus, of the truth, of the gospel. Our, we're, we're, it's not us. We're not, don't look at us like we're trying to show 
gee, we're imitating God. We are, we're taking the light that it's him and showing everybody we can save people. And you say, do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm one of those guys that saw the way some people lived and I thought, that's not my house. The way they live, that doesn't look like my home. I joked about the jacket earlier too. I like the jacket. Uh, it's better than working out and doing core. Um, but I might go further. I, I told first gathering, I'm like, I'm thinking I might go the vest, the tie, the whole deal. Because there's something about those old guys. They could just, you know, get after it and really shuck the corn. They're just angrier. And, and, and I know this. Because Charles Spurgeon's quote right here is like, I'm talking a spiritual kick in the teeth. Don't send me any hate emails. This ain't me. I'm just telling you what Charles Spurgeon said. But check it. Every Christian, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Have fun at lunch with that. I mean, that right there is like, come on, man. But let me let you off. Let me just let the foot off the neck for just a second. I know what you could think. It's what I think. And it's how I started working for the church in 1987, 36 years now. It's the way, only way I get up here and just proclaim is because I understand, like, if I take credits for the losses, I'll take credits for the win. This is, I'm just like a, a waiter bringing some food out on Sunday morning. Like, hey, here's what chef cooked up. I hope you like it. It's called truth. I, I did my best to bring it from the word. And guess what? It's going to hit four types of soil. That's what the scriptures say. I'm throwing the seed every Sunday, throwing the seed. And, and some of you, man, it's hard soil. You are skeptic. You've been hurt. The church has done you wrong. You've done through, gone through a lot. Like your heart is hard. And that seed, the truth, the word is bouncing off. And it ain't time to take root. And so today's not your day to come to Jesus. But some of you, the soil is a little softer, but you're going to receive it. But then you're going to go back to school shopping and you're going to deal with your finances and your marriage and all the other struggles and aging parents or crazy kids or whatever you got on your plate. And the worries of this world will choke, the scriptures say, that seed out. And you'll forget to be a display on Thursday because you're just trying to make sure the bills are paid. And the Bible's clear on that. That's not my job to make sure the seed takes root. I just throw it. And some of you, it's going to produce something, but it's going to not stick for a long time because life has a way of being life, right? It's just hard. And often, like, for most of us, me saying, hey, we need to be witnesses, that's not revelation. It's, it's just reminding. And a lot of us just need to be reminded more than we need to be taught. But check it. Some of you, today's the day. It's going to take root and produce a harvest. And you're going to look different to your friends. You're going to look different to your family. You're going to look different to your wife or your husband or in your marriage or your home or your wherever. You, you're going to not be so scared. You're going to be fine with being a display. Even if it feels like you're on a, a parade ready to die, going into the arena. Like, listen, the Corinthians understood what that theatron meant. They thought the gladiators. They thought the, the Colosseum. Like, that was the theatron, right? It, it, they got it. They understood it. But I'll say it like this. this. This should help. We are not responsible. You and I are not responsible for saving anyone. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But we are responsible. We have been told. We're responsible to tell everyone. Tell everyone. Tell everyone with your life. I'm not talking, you know, get a milk carton and stand on the corner of Main Street and school and be like, ah, like, I'm just talking with our witness, with our lives. We are on display. We're a motion picture, a living, breathing, walking and talking picture. And Rick Warren, who knows a thing about church, he says this, if you just have a great commitment to the great commandment, love God, love others, and the great commission, go therefore and make disciples that you would baptize them in my name and teach them to obey all that I've commanded. And I'll be with you to the very end. The, a great commitment to the great commission, excuse me, great commandment, 
love God and others, and the Great Commission, go, go, go. We'll build a great church. And I love 1910. It's a great church. But I believe God has greater. I believe that when I come back next, when Kim and I roll up here next, we're going to sit in the back in the AV booth with Donald or, you know, be laying up here on the stage. My man up there, he might let me kind of co-key just up here to do my thing. I, I, I don't even know what that was. Cut that from the tape. That was terrible. But listen, God's got big stuff for us. He wants to grow us. He wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to be on display, to be motion pictures, to live out loud. And I'll tell you this. Someone's life hangs in the balance. Are you going to receive the signal and display the truth or keep it to yourself? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, don't come up here and blame everybody else for being poor theaters. Just come up and go, I want to tap into the signal. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to follow Jesus. I want to imitate God. I want to be like Christ. I believe in him and I believe him and I'll do what he says. He can be my savior and my Lord. And let today be the day. You put your hand up, find an elder, come up to worship team, crawl on stage crying, whatever it looks like for you. But today could be the day that you are saved. But let me tell you this. If today's the day that you're saved, tomorrow's the day that you're a witness. And if you got saved many, 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 many years ago, before the color TV, you're even older than me. You still got to be a witness. So I'm going to pray for that right now. God, thank you for the gift and the honor to preach. I confess to you it's harder to do. And I ask that you would in all of us remind us that we're to be your witnesses, your theaters, your display, what the world sees. Even when it's hard, even when it's scary, even when it's not cool or common, I pray we'd be about it. Thank you for this truth and this call in our lives. And may we live it and live it out loud. To Jesus I pray. Amen.